Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. I am here with Ravi Mickelson, co-founder at Atmos Financial. Hey, Ravi. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Oh, by the way, I'm the creative editor at Nori. Do I even need to say that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm the chief email officer at Atmos, so I know what you mean. Blank slate, do everything we need to do to move the mission forward. I know my titles at startups are notoriously silly and mine for a long time was lead strategist. I preferred the term cross-functional wildcard because I just would get deployed in strange ways or have ideas or want to run experiments. Um, but it sort of means you do a lot of everything and it sounds like that's sort of your life too. Basically. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to have you on because there is a lot of development happening in fintech I'm sure someone listening says, what is this horrible portmanteau neologism that now you have to explain? It seems like you can just add that suffix tech onto the end of basically anything these days and it becomes a new (laughs) vertical to invest in. 100%. uh, Yeah. I mean, book tech, food tech, transportation tech, energy tech, clean tech. Yeah. And with FinTech, yeah, that's been around for, you know, 20 years now or more, probably, yeah, even longer. I mean, Intuit was started in the 80s. We had PayPal in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't remember when it started. And then in the last 10 years, really, we saw the rise of neobanks specifically, and that's where Atmos sits. And it's these digital banks that are software companies and not legal banks themselves. But we work with existing chartered banks to essentially white label their license or charter and then provide lower friction services to customers. So neobanks are becoming very popular because you know you can apply for an account and most often get approved in two to three minutes versus going to a local branch, filling out paperwork, actual paper, like with a pen in duplicate or triplicate, you know, getting and then sometimes it takes you know a couple of days. I remember Robbie, I, is, is a bank just that empty building with an ATM attached to it? <laughs> Nowadays, yes, mostly. So, so you know, it's, it's really like other things within tech. It's about reducing the friction, making it easier for customers. You know, somebody doesn't want a mortgage. They want to buy a house. And so that's, that's what we need is it's like, what is the purpose of this product? And so it's we're facilitating purchasing a home, an EV, solar, et cetera, et cetera storing money safely. So how do we do that more easily, more conveniently and do it where people are? So now we carry, you know, we carry banks with us. We carry dictionaries with us. We carry, you know, taxi hailing services with us. Uh, Basically anything we need, we have in our pocket within our smartphone. And so more and more we're bringing the services that we use in the physical world, you know, at least so even still the physical services, we're now being able to call them or make use of them right from within this device that sits in our pocket. Yeah, there's quite a lot there. I like the history of fintech broadly and thinking of maybe Intuit. So you probably use their services like Mint or TurboTax. And they've also been involved in carbon removal and that's been cool. But also PayPal. My understanding is that before PayPal, it really was not safe to buy things on the internet. Is that your understanding too? 
Yes, at least, you know, fr- from the history that they put out. Um, I don't remember <laughs> buying too many things back then. One before then that came out. I remember it like when I was starting like in college. So before that, you know, I, I had a bank account like through my parents when I was younger and I was, you know, I saved and did all that. But I don't really remember buying anything online until college. So I, I remember I think I did some some stock trading at the very end of high school once I turned 18 and was legally allowed to do so. But yeah, I don't remember buying anything online before PayPal. The story is possibly more complicated than that, but that's the version that I'm telling today. That's, we we can stick to that one. We'll stick to that one. <laughs> give them a little. Yeah. Give them a little boost. Yeah, and so we can consider that possibly the birth or origin of, of fintech, and it's come a long way to. I imagine on any person's phone, I imagine there's at least one app, which is you know various banks that you use for different services, but there's also things like types of consumer-facing investment apps like Robinhood or Acorn or Stash or some of these other ones. So there's some that have like a trading component. And I also, or like Betterment Wealthfront, so things like your retirement accounts, those seemingly are all a part of the same movement too, you would say, right? Right. And, you know, more in our field is, is New Day Impact which is more similar to, I think, like Acorns or Wealthfront. But it looks at creating an investment portfolio based on you know, where you're at, your risk tolerances, and what are the types of more sustainable or like impact type companies that you want to support. So there is a growing field or a growing cohort of companies that you know, support uh, climate action, support equal rights and and racial justice and gender justice and all of these different things that in in general are, are great and that's the things that we want to support but they're not mainstream yet they're not you know everywhere and sort of the climate tech impact tech ESG various words for all of the things it's like make the planet better and our society better while you know creating a profitable business um that's basically, you know, take something good, th- throw tech on the end of it, and now you've got, you know, a software startup. And so I think, you know, what you was on to talk about fintech within climate change specifically and sort of the climate fintechs, you know, there's a, a, a great report released recently by New Energy Nexus, which is a, a not-for-profit uh, in Oakland and one of the nonprofits that people can donate to on the Atmos platform. They just did this really great report about the rise of climate fintechs and the role of climate fintechs within climate action. Uh, and and they looked at uh, several different sectors, so insurance, neobanks, investments, payments, cryptocurrency, and then they looked at it in, in the US, Europe, and in China. Um, so it was really interesting to see how the space is growing, how we're interacting with sort of the direct action climate tech companies, or as Project Drawdown says, you know, so they describe the energy or the carbon tech as the solutions. And, you know, fintechs like Atmos are the accelerants or the accelerators of those solutions. Because we need to deploy, you know, we need to transition off of fossil fuels to clean energy. And so that is the solution. And lower cost loans from Atmos accelerates the deployment of that solution. Hmm. 
Yeah, we'll we'll get a bit more into detail on the intersection with climate and fintech, which I suppose we buried that lead. That is what we're going to talk about on reversing climate change. The ostensible purpose of the show is to talk about such things. <laughs> um, I want to build up a nice foundation we can build on in more detail first. Got it. Um, Sorry, I jumped it, ahead. I do that sometimes. It's okay. It's good to tease it out and let people know where we're headed. But we'll back up now a step and we'll keep getting closer and closer to that. Is it appropriate to see fintech startups and companies as primarily software companies that work with banking rather than the other way around? So software companies that work with banking versus bank companies? I'm, I'm not sure so I get your question. I think I'm trying to pin this down a little bit. Is the mentality that of a software company in trying to make you know, like highly scalable, beautiful user experience, automated plugin APIs to a bunch of different other apps if possible. This is sort of how I think about fintech. Is that even a correct way to think about it? Yes, I, th I think so. And not every fintech company, you know, works with a bank as as their partner. You know, so there there are fintechs that you know get their own licenses, but the 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 whole like idea their, is some, some sort of become a bank themselves is what you're saying. Not everyone wants to become a bank or mm -hmm. an insurance broker or, mm -hmm. you know, a payments processor or like, you know, they don't want to build the rails themselves. They might want to be the car that sits on top of the rails, you know, that runs Got down it. the track. But pretty much I, I would say that either all or the vast majority start off as we're a highly scalable, you know, software company. And, you know, especially if, pitching VCs and, and looking for, you know, outside investment, you are just about guaranteed to need that type of story. Like we can do this. Uh, we can have this level of growth. You see things like public benefit uh, companies and, and uh, B Corps existing as a way of getting around this fiduciary responsibility above all else kind of approach, which means impact-driven companies could be pushed into positions that they don't want to be in because either their venture backers want exits or they, I don't know, they're being pushed towards like the IPO model. That's, that's sort of the end goal of all this, right? Is to IPO and be a public company. But the incentives there are really tricky between shareholder profits and mission. So I could see why some of these fintech for good kind of companies. It seems like kind of a risky approach to go down. I'm curious like how you've been thinking about it as you've been trying to launch Atmos. Right. So one, you know, just backing up a step that being a public benefit corporation, which Atmos is uh, on our way and we're a pending B Corp, that doesn't necessarily negate or, or remove the opportunity for us to IPO and to become a billion dollar company. Uh, Etsy, Ben and Jerry's, uh, was it Ben and Jerry's? I mean, so there are several publicly traded B Corps. I think Patagonia is one of them. Danone. Danone. Yeah. Uh, maybe Patagonia is still private. I don't know, but I do know there are a lot of billion dollar B Corps and ones that have, you know, that are publicly listed. So what the public benefit corp and the, 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 so what that does is sort of changes the legal de designation, which allows us to include another stakeholder within, you know, our 
you know, our, our calculus. So for us, it's the environment. So we, we cannot, uh, so we have to take the environment into consideration when we're making a business decision. So if we're going to, you know, sell to uh, a large bank and the outcome is that they stop, you know, essentially shut down operations and, you know, we reduce the amount of the transition to clean energy and so forth, then that uh, despite what our outside investors want, we can say, well, this goes against our our corporate charter. And so it allows that protection. And there is really no reason not to have both of, you know, doing good for the planet and making a lot of money for investors that we bring in. And it's just sort of this limited mindset that's been used before to for against this. So that's sort of the, the, the first part of what you said. And then on the, the second half of, you know, is IPO the exit for fintechs. And if you take outside investment, these investors are going to want their, you know, they want to make a return on their capital. And so that means some sort of exit, uh, whether that's an acquisition or an IPO usually. Got it. Thanks. Okay. Well, I'm the order of this is getting a little, a little mixed up Ravi. And that's, that's on me. But I think we should probably introduce what specifically you are working on directly here. <laughs> I think we're we're far enough along to say let's, what we're doing. Yeah, let's introduce this variable into our conversation. What is Atmos? Atmos is a banking startup with the purpose of democratizing climate action, and our mission statement states directly: you know, is to finance the rapid transition to a you know the clean economy for all. And we want to move people's deposits from the banks that they're with now. Most likely, it's one of the big four banks, Chase, B of A, Wells Fargo, and Citi, who have, you know, roughly, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50% of all deposits in the US and are the biggest funders of fossil fuel extraction in the world. We want to take those deposits and leverage them to fight climate change. So invest or lend for clean energy, electrification, regenerative agriculture, and eventually you know, direct air capture, carbon removal, carbon to use, et cetera. Yeah, that's so cool. I love it. I obviously, given that it's such a passive decision for where to park your money and which interfaces it makes sense to use, I would strongly prefer my money not to be funding things that in my day job I'm trying to fix, right? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, so for like, you know, I, I've been fighting climate change for, for almost 20 years now, or just over 20 years now. And, you know, pretty much that entire time, my money has been in, in opposition or neutral to what I, I've done. Uh, most of the people in clean energy or in direct air capture or in agriculture, most likely their money is, sits at a bank. You know, the top 1% of banks is just 50 banks control 70% of the deposits. And these are the banks that are large enough to fund, you know, to be a part of fossil fuel projects. So we need to change that. And similar to what Tesla has done in the automotive industry, our goal and probably the goal of the other, you know, fintechs and neobanks in this space eventually, because we're going to need lots of them 
we need to push these big banks to transition their own asset base, their own lending portfolios away from fossil fuels. And that's not just the, you know, $100 million, $200 million, you know, oil or gas deal. It's the internal combustion engine vehicles. It's the fossil gas furnace and stove for somebody's house. Say, we're only going to do electric. We're only going to do clean energy. We're only going to do regenerative agriculture projects. And that's going to take some time because, you know, they're trillion dollar plus companies and they need to have to unwind stuff. They need to change their internal incentive structures. But the faster Atmos gets going and the faster, you know, we show them that this is where the market is heading, the faster they're going to make that decision for themselves. And I don't know if you want to jump back to sort of the genesis of Atmos, um, but like it's sort of germane to this specific point. I do, but I have follow-up questions. I want to, before Let's it follow slips up. away. Let's follow up. Okay? Yeah. This is maybe a little bit of a strange sentiment, but I do feel some sympathy for the position of the big banks because if they were to try to unload that quantity of fossil fuel assets, I think at the point of unloading, they become truly stranded. If the banks are willing to give up on them, who's going to pick those up? It seems like that would just effectively be a write-off of 9, 10, 11 figure. I'm trying to think of what even those figures are. It's a huge amount of money that is, <laughs> is essentially just vanishing into thin air if they do that. There's a lot of zeros behind the ones in front of those those projects. Oh, um, yeah. And but if they were to just say, we're no longer doing fossil fuels, how do they get any money out of the investments they've made? Are they just screwed? So, so there's the, there's the existing, you know, assets that they hold. And then there's, you know, continuing to fund future projects. And, and we've seen, we've seen progress, especially within the last year of the big banks saying that they're not, you know, they're, they're stopping, you know, the financing of thermal coal projects and which is thermal coal is sort of the thermal being heat. It's sort of, you know, burning coal for heat, either typically for like, um, you know, power generation, uh, energy generation. And then there's metallurgical coal because we still use coal to produce steel and other products. We will still finance that for a while, but not the coal for power plants and, and you know, thermal coal mining, et cetera, et cetera. And also, you know, no Arctic drilling. They're not going to finance Arctic drilling. Great. One, it's uneconomical. So it's a really relatively low bar to jump over for them. But they're now making those statements, which is great. They're saying we're they're committing to that. And then in terms of actually unloading any sort of, you know, fossil fuel assets that they own, that's trickier. They need to find buyers for them. But do we even want them to find buyers for them either? There is a, there are proposals uh, for a cash for clunkers for, you know, coal power plants, oil, you know, things like that. Because I believe Canada has done this. Um, It was mentioned that England, you know, did this when they shut down the slave trade in England, you know, the, the country, they paid off, uh, they bought, you know, humans from the slave owners. The U.S. did not. And, you know, that we had a civil war. Like, I heard this the other day, and which I didn't know. And, you know, so in this same sentence, this person was saying, you know, we need to buy the assets of, you know, the, the coal plants, the, the oil pipelines, 
and the government can then make the transition. We need to, the, we need the government to step in if we want to make this go easily. Um, the free market is going to do this and that is going to be a lot more painful, especially for, you know, the people in like the, the workers on the ground, on the ground and in the ground in the mines. It's because yeah, the billionaire, mine owners, the coal companies, the power plants, they're going to be fine. The executives are going to be fine. The investors are going to be fine because they're going to take whatever they can get. And the employees are the ones that are going to be hurt the most. So this idea of governments using, you know, tax funds and wealthier countries using their capital to, you know, fund the, you know, buying out of these assets is one potential solution to, you know, avoid this problem that you bring up. It's such a fascinating one too, because on the one hand, yeah, if you're able to buy out the slave trade, there's something that's horrifying about having to uh, ameliorate this situation and reduce the political conflict by paying people who did wrong. That's not great. Yep. Civil war though, pretty horrible. Would have been nice to avoid that. And the wounds are still not fully healed from it either. So that's not costless either. I've also seen things, I think this has come up in the show before, but one of our podcast alumnus economist, Brian Kaplan, he has spoken before about how when there's dictators in various countries, what we should consider doing is offering them immunity and paying them off. Just being like, hey, look, we'll make you a billionaire, but you got to you got to turn over your country to democracy and leave. You're like, that feels horrible. They should not be rewarded, but it's sort of hard to argue with that result as well, especially when the alternative is they stay in power and pass that power to their children in perpetuity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard just to, you know, discuss these ideas. It's like, wow, you know, rewarding people for doing wrong behavior, but how do we within the, the energy community, you know, we're talking about a just transition. It's often used, it's like, okay, there's the, the racial justice component of we've cited most, uh, at least, you know, especially in the US, we've cited most of our dirty power plants, water treatment, etc. cetera, uh, in lower income areas, area, you know, communities of color uh, and indigenous communities and, you know, cause greater harm to them versus wealthier and white communities. Um, and globally, we've done the same thing. You know, we've shipped our trash and done the more destructive extraction in, you know, lower income countries, developing countries, etc. So there is that component of the just transition is, is providing, you know, greater resources for this transition to those communities that have received more harm. And then there's also this component of the people who work in those industries which we are trying to move away from. And so if, you know, you've got a coal miner or in an oil derrick worker and they're making a hundred plus thousand dollars per year and the equivalent job in clean energy is making much less, how do we make that work for them? You know, how do we make them have any job? If this is where the economy is going and needs to go, you know, how, how do we make it work for them as well? Compassion as human, yes, but really, like I said, the owners and investors of these companies are all fine. Like, I'm not worried about them at all. 
But then from the free market standpoint, you know, yada, 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 it's, you got to take care of them too, whatever. Let's take care of the people who've been harmed and the people who will be harmed, you know, actually not just, oh, I, my portfolio is down a couple of basis points because, you know, that this is now a stranded asset. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not really asking you easy questions here, Ravi. That's all right. It's Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. It's the time for hard questions. Yeah. Yeah. How do you solve the the problems in, inherent in changing the economy in major ways with stakeholders with a vested interest in the status quo? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'll let you <laughs> move on then. Okay. So that's the sort of hard, difficult, more negative side of the equation. I see Atmos as much more of a doing what is right rather than fixing what was wrong. God, maybe that framing is bad too. But what exactly does one do once one moves one's money over to Atmos? What does it look like? What exactly is it supposed to do? How does it work? Yeah, thank you. And you know, I, I love diving into these hard questions too. And done wrong, fossil fuels created, you know, great yet widely, you know, unequal wealth in this world. It's created like the, you know, all of the trappings we have in America and created, you know, our our great nation. So there there is something to be grateful for. But we've also known for the last, you know, 60, 70 years now at a governmental level uh, and in corporate level in the US that we needed to move away from them. And the fossil industry has, you know, fought against that. So yes, you know, you're saying it's like, okay, they've done wrong. Well, fossil fuels did some great things for us, the harnessing of energy. But we've also known for, you know, nearly a century now that we need to get off them and we haven't moved fast enough. So it's this transition of just that's negative to what's the positive. It's like, where, what do we do? And like you said, one step is to move your money out of the banks that are funding fossil fuel extraction into, you know, climate fintechs, neobanks like Atmos that will use your money to finance this transition and reward you for it. The national average, you know, yield on a savings account right now is, you know, 0.05%. A lot of the, the biggest banks are paying 0.01 or 0.02%. We're starting off at 0.3% and we're, our top rate is 0.51%, a half a percent. So 10x the national average. So you have a savings account with somewhere else. You're earning almost nothing on it. You move it to Atmos. You're earning 10 times that amount and you're having a direct impact, you know, on stopping climate change because we're going to take those funds. And right now we are partnering with banks who directly lend that into clean energy projects. So that's sort of, you know, Atmos 1.0. That's where we are right now. Um, but we're really building out the full stack banking suite in credit cards, commercial accounts. And eventually, you know, later this year, we're going to start lending money ourselves, uh, which is where things get really interesting because we get to more directly dictate the pricing on that. And so we can make all of these things that we want and need to have happen. So this transition, we can more directly, you know, lower the cost uh, while still, you know, keeping ourselves profitable. We're not going to, you know, lose money, but we can make, you know, solar or rooftop solar affordable for millions of more Americans than right now. You know, electric vehicles, e-bikes, 
accessory dwelling units. So increased densification and, you know, net zero homes, passive house, so many opportunities. Uh, and I could just ramble on, which I am doing, obviously. But that is kind of where we're at and where we're going in a one minute rant. <laughs> yeah. A couple of related questions. How are you able to offer such a higher savings interest rate? And how are you able to write and service loans for less than is conventionally done? Right. So our savings rate, and I use that term because interest rate and interest yield are, are regulated or protected terms for what the bank offers. Oh, okay. um, and so right now, you know, the savings rate that comes from Atmos, that's a payment from us directly. Mm, okay. And uh, we're able to offer that. And similarly, you know, the pricing on our loans is, you know, we're not going to have branches. So we don't have the physical locations that we need to pay, you know, rent or mortgage for. We are built on a, a brand new technology stack. So the, a lot of, you know, the, the biggest banks, they started introducing software, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and they've maintained that software rather than paying to, you know, redo everything. So a lot of their budget is in the maintenance of COBOL and, and Fortran and, and these other antiquated, you know, software languages. I know people who can write in those languages and earning a million dollars a year, basically out of college, because there are so few people who can do that work. And then lastly, we're building, you know, as I said, our technology is brand new. And so we can use machine learning and other advanced underwriting techniques and technologies so that we can reduce the amount of, of human time that it will take to approve each loan. So we can, you know, as we talked earlier, you know, we, we can get to a massive scale without having a very large team of loan processors to underwrite and approve each loan. Uh, the big banks, they're not set up for, you know, to, to do a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar solar loan. You know, it's one of the reasons that they haven't gotten involved, other than doing, you know, multi million dollar utility scale projects. Are there a lot of other intersections between climate and fintech. I've seen things like a credit card, which instead of giving you airline miles, they'll buy offsets on your behalf. And I imagine there's quite a lot going on that I'm not even aware of. What's the space look like overall? Yeah, it's, you know, growing pretty quickly. The neobanks, uh, there's payments. So the existing, like, you know, solar lenders, they would be considered, you know, climate fintech. So there's a, an insurance company called Energetic Insurance. They fall under that category. They help reduce the cost of commercial solar projects because, you know, they can underwrite them. And, and there's other auto insurance. You could kind of fit them in like Lemonade. And then underwriting, how do you, how do you process payments for off-grid solar? If, you know, in, in a lot of developing countries, it's like, oh, you know, put lights on your roof and then I'm going to come around every month to collect payment. Well, it's like, how do you, how do you do, you know, payment solutions there? That's climate fintech. So the solutions that are developing are different based on the market and based on, you know, sort of the sector they're going after. But there really, there are companies that are forming and growing at sort of every stage. Yeah. So from insurance 
to banking, to payments, to credit cards, like you said, all sorts of different things. So credit cards with the points for offsets or for other projects um, or setting carbon budgets. Probably think of a few more as we, we go, but it, it nascent, but it's it's a growing space other than sort of the, the you know, fintech lenders for clean energy. Huh. Like Solar City and and Sunrun, you know, massive comp, you know, publicly traded now. Sun Solar City is part of Tesla, but that was you know a quote unquote climate fintech. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, when I think about why I do banking with the groups that I bank with, I'm trying to run through the reasons, and maybe you can tell me if this maps with your experience in doing customer research and trying to develop this but I care about not paying ATM fees. And I like it when my banks also have credit cards with valuable partners, whether that's airlines or something else. So like, I think Chase has a really, almost certainly the most valuable credit card operation of any of the big banks. And I like having it as a relatively quick, uh, like low fee intersection that I can pay bills through. There are also things I see like many fintech startups reimburse for ATM fees. So maybe that matters less than I think it does. And I'm trying to think of a good reason mm-hmm. besides the credit card thing. So, you know, let me put it back to you. So it sounds like you're with Chase before, you know, our conversation. And I said that Chase is, you know, I said it's one of them, but it's actually, you know, the largest, you know, funder of fossil fuels in the world. One, did you know that? I didn't know it was the largest in the world, but I assumed that they were funding things I probably didn't like very much. Yeah. So now that you know that Chase is, it's like, how do you feel? It's like, because like this is, this is, like you said, it's in direct opposition to what you do on a daily basis. But at the same time, you probably get a lot of services from them that, you know, cannot be replicated right away from, you know, fintechs like Atmos. Like, Right now we're, we're launching with a savings account and then we're going to add these other things in. And so, you know, it's like, well, Ross, I want you to move some money to Atmos, but I, I understand that we're not going to be able to replace your entire relationship right away. So again, you know, let's, let's have a little compassion for you. I don't, I don't want to, you know, make fun of you or or say anything bad that's like, okay, you're with Chase. And it's like, yeah, let's, now that you know this, Let's, let's start to replace those services that you get from them with, you know, services like Atmos that are going to use your money how you want it, which is to stop climate change or, you know, reverse climate change, even as this podcast is so aptly named. And so would, you know, now that you know, it's like, would you, would you include this calculus of what, you know, your bank, your banking provider, what they do with your money? Is that now going to be a part of, you know, your thinking as you look for future service providers? I think so. I, I ceteris paribus, I prefer my money not to be doing things I don't like. I've also done things in the past of uh, moving money to credit unions or like local neighborhood banks where I am rather than a gigantic uh, set of banks tell you the truth though, the user experience at bigger banks that I've had is much superior. Most of it's at the software level too, trying to interact with these, you know, not very nice uh, apps and websites. And then also having 
I I found like bigger banks are sometimes more forgiving with fees, even small things like ACH transfers being fee-less. I've seen that more at bigger banks like Chase than I've seen at the credit union where, you know, if I have to get charged $3 every time I'm moving money between accounts to pay bills in the right kind of way, big headache. And uh, I'm not sure how to weight this against some of the more ethical considerations here, but I do sort of expect a beautiful user experience. I'm spoiled at this point is basically what I'm saying. I'm not saying this is either. I'm some sort of paragon of virtue here either, but I imagine maybe I'm a good stand-in for the average person. Yeah. We've done some some user surveys and some market research before launching and and you are not alone. The no fees, the convenience, yes, big banks, you know, they've got a billion dollar software budget versus, you know, your community bank or credit union may have, you know, $10,000. And so they hire a contractor every few years to make some updates to their app. Um, so it, it is a wide disparity. And it's like, hey, I just need this to work. I don't have a lot of time. I can sign up for a Chase account in a few minutes on a mobile app. And so that's where people go. There's a branch on every single corner. It's like that, you know, they make it really easy to sign up with them. And that is kind of where we come in. And it's like, hey, we're going to make it just as easy, if not easier, to sign up for an account. We're going to make it beautiful. You did sign up for an account and you didn't sign up for, you know, a beta account a few months ago. So you didn't get to see all the progress that we've made in, in, in all the work we've put in to make it intuitive. But that's our goal is to make it invisible so that it just, you know, it just works. And then you can do great things with it. So one of the things we're launching with is the ability to, donate, you know, frictionlessly to, you know, these various world-changing nonprofits. Um, and as I mentioned earlier to the new Energy Nexus report, you know, so we've got clean energy, we've got, you know, youth climate action, we've got uh, endangered species, indigenous rights, ocean conservation, all sorts of different nonprofits that, that we're working with. And because we're paying, you know, a high savings rate, part of that you know, that, that 0.51% is a little bump, a, a 0.11% bonus if you make a donation. So if you, you, you want to share a portion of that, that little, you know, monthly bonus, that monthly savings rate that we give, we're going to give you an extra bump because we're grateful for you, for you helping these nonprofits to do their work. And then we're collecting. So you, you said one of the things you like is a credit card with partner benefits with these, you know, offers. So we've got some of those. You can get a discount on going clean energy. Rather, you'll get a, a $25 into your Atmos account if you sign up for Arcadia Power, uh, which is a clean energy retail uh, vendor. So it's, it's, we're trying to, you know, replace the services and be that provide that full suite that you're looking for in the big bank, but put all of your money towards reversing climate change and have an even better experience. You know, no fees. One of the largest revenue sources for those big banks are those nickel and dime fees, overcharge fees, uh, wire fees, ACH fees, or not ACH fees, but definitely wire fees of $20, $30. Um, ATM fees, all, all sorts of things. So we want to get rid of those. We want to make it more human and we want to make it more inclusive and fair. And we want to reverse climate change. Yeah, I think a lot of that speaks to me pretty clearly. But I did think of something that 
I found more persuasive than everything we've just talked about. And it's a little emotional and maybe a tiny bit maudlin, but I'm hoping you'll allow it, Robbie. Go for it, Ross. I mean, you're, 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 you're giving me sales points. I love this. What, what, <laughs> what spoke to you about Atmos? If I was watching It's a Wonderful Life, I would want to bank with George Bailey, right? Like that's, that's, have you seen that? Do you even know what I'm talking about? I, I do know what you're talking about. That's like, you wouldn't want to be like, hmm, well, the mean guy, I think he offers no fees. I should probably bank <laughs> with the terrible guy. You should probably bank with George Bailey, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And are, are you saying that I'm, I'm George Bailey-ish? I, I think you're, you're on the right road to George Bailey-dom and I need to look <laughs> farther into it. But, you know, I, I think you are <laughs> headed that direction, which is great. Well, well, thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. It's meant highly so because sometimes I, I take pleasure historically in being like a little bit hard nosed and being like, oh, well, I'm like a rational consumer and they're not charging me fees and blah, blah, blah. And, and who cares if I don't do anything because the system as a whole isn't going to change. So why should I take like a worse experience with higher fees if it doesn't actually change the thing overall? And I've actually had a change of heart over that and probably over the last year where I'm like, because there's a sense in which you only control your actions. So you can't control outside events really in, in, in meaningful ways for the most part. So that's a good reason to act selfishly because everyone else is. But since you can only control your own actions, that's actually a good reason to act more nobly or to at least aim that direction. So I've been trying to like flip that game theory that's been just pounded into my head over the years and try to try to be a cooperator rather than a defector in you know <laughs> the prisoner's dilemma that is right. life and and yeah. and you know prisoner's dilemma it trends towards cooperation you know as you iterate on it and you run it that's multiple right. times and that's really what life is you know it's an iterated prisoner's dilemma conundrum and that you know leads towards cooperation and i think ultimately as as we you know look to that then our you know businesses you know it's like like Tesla, you know, hopefully eventually, you know, we use that analogy because, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, well-functioning machine. It's, it's a great to drive. And it's like, you don't have to sacrifice, you know, 15 years ago, people were putting lead acid batteries, you know, into the, the, into the trunk of their car and swapping out the engine for a motor, electric motor. And that was the EVs of the time. And now you, you know, you got ones with hyperdrive, you know, ludicrous mode, all this stuff. So the idea that we have to sacrifice or lose to do the right thing, I think is, is shifting. And that's, that's what we're, what we're trying to do. And, and, you know, I think as a, as an industry and as sort of community, you know, it's not put on a sweater because it's cold. It's, Hey, we've got so much power because we've got an overabundance of sunshine and we're now properly air sailing our homes and doing this right. And it's fantastic and we're comfortable, but we're not paying an arm and a leg for our energy. It's like, let's not sacrifice. Let's have an abundance, but we're doing the right thing now. Wow. Well, where do you see Atmos going in the next couple of years? And I guess maybe in order to answer that, where are you right now? Are you raising money? What are you doing? No, so we're not, we're not raising money at the, at the moment. We finished that for this round and we just launched yesterday. This is Wednesday, January 13th. And 
you know, we, we went live yesterday and, and are growing. So we're getting the word out and we have a savings account right now and we're going to be building on top of that. So, you know, we'll have multiple savings accounts and be able to sort of structure around that. And then in the coming months, we plan to offer you know, a debit card, commercial accounts, because, you know, just as individuals, it's like we don't want our money to be used. Like, why are solar installation companies and, you know, carbon capture companies, why is that the money that, you know, of these companies, why are all of our companies being used in direct opposition to the work of the company itself? And then, you know, the big thing is, like I said, is we're going to start making loans later this year and offering, you know, credit. Uh, perhaps that's a credit card, perhaps it's some other form of that. But then the loan, so, you know, reducing the cost for residential solar, for electrification, for EVs, e-bikes, et cetera. And it's how do we use capital more effectively from a, you know, bank or banking provider from that standpoint how do we use capital to reverse climate change? And that's, you know, what we're going to be keep iterating on. We have a plan for the next few months beyond that. It's really hard to say two years out. That's a, a different life. <laughs> yeah, that's really great to hear. I have tried many of these apps before and played around on them. And I like being involved in thinking about my finances, where my money is is spent and stored. And I certainly look for various types of incentives and deals with inside of the various financial institutions of which I am a part. Though I got to say, I've been pretty, I've been slacking. And this is a component that I haven't really thought that much about. And part of it is because of those sort of inferior user experience decisions uh, or experiences. But I think I really need to meditate on George Bailey. Everything else you said, Ravi, it's all very good. But honestly, I think you should just, you should lean on that. I'm sure that's, you know, deeply patented, <laughs> copyrighted, uh, but that speaks to me. I, I find that the most, the most persuasive of anything. And that makes me kind of a sucker and sentimental, but uh, it's true. Hey, we, we haven't thrown that into, you know, our, our multivariate advertising testing. So I'm going to create a landing page around, you know, Admo Atmos as a, uh, what is it? The I forget the name of his bank. It's like, like for, the building and the building and loan. I just uh, watched yeah, it over Christmas. It's, yeah, it's like uh, say um, something savings and loan. Bailey Savings and Loan. It's named after his last name. You know that. You know the old George Bailey. We'll run with it. We'll see how it goes. But I think you know doing the right thing and and working with the customer as George Bailey did, as you know me and Pete, my co-founder and our te whole team. You know, like you said cooperation we want to work with people we're not trying to get one over on people and and use trickery to make it so that you overspend and we charge you thirty dollars on an overcharge fee like some of the big banks do it's we want to make it so that we all thrive it's like hey you're saving more money you're earning more money you're spending less it's like these are great things because we're leveraging that money to finance the transition and reverse climate change. So like we can all win if we work together. George Bailey for the win. <laughs> I bet you didn't expect that to be where we ended on, huh? I didn't think we were going to go there, but I like it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. You didn't know I was such a, such a sappy, melodramatic kind of guy, but it's true. I am. 
If it works, it works. All right. Well, if someone wants to try Atmos, uh, where can they find you? What should they do? Give them some, some tips here to get started. Sure thing. If anyone would like to join Atmos, they can go to joinatmos.com. And that is J-O-I-N-A-T-M-O-S.com. We're also the same on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. My email is Ravi at joinatmos.com. So feel free to reach out. And yeah, even if you aren't joining, but you have questions, feel free to reach out. And I hope I'll, you know, I'll do my best to answer them. And then maybe you'll join. And then together we can, you know, move our money and reverse climate change. Great. Well, links to all of those things are in the show notes. If you'd like to follow up, join Atmos, et cetera. Ravi, thanks so much for being on the show. Ross, this has been a great pleasure and I look forward to doing it again in the future. Sure. Happy to have you back on for an update. Thanks listeners. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, if you're a fan of the show and you haven't already, and you're on an iPhone, please open up your podcast app, which comes natively on your phone. Give us a great rating, five stars, if you truly believe that that is deserving of it and uh, write us a review. It certainly helps us a lot get this out to more people. And thank you as always for listening. 